Well, turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And I want to read uh, about this interaction between the Lord Jesus and Nicodemus. I think it would be a very well-known passage to many people, but uh, I'm always reminded of a... I remember once visiting one of our church members who's since gone to be in glory. And uh, as a part of the pastoral visit, I read John 3, 1 to 8, and I asked her if she'd ever read that before. And she said she'd never read it. Never come across it. Um, so this is, tells you a lot, told you a lot about her background in coming to our church. But uh, this is uh, such a seminal uh, passage that uh, it's worth paying attention to. So let's hear God's word, John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Uh, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? How can, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. And if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe... How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we have just sung that the Holy Spirit would move on our disordered spirits, and we pray that as we come to you with disordered spirits, which we fully confess, that you would uh, draw our attention to your word, that you'd help us to understand it. Indeed, you would do a great spiritual work in our hearts and souls as we uh, study it together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started looking at a sequence of uh, a series on uh, what it means to become a Christian. Um, What happens when somebody becomes a Christian? What are the benefits of somebody becoming a Christian? Um, And to put it another way, um, you know, uh, what is it that the saving work of Jesus Christ that he did 2,000 years ago in his death and his resurrection, how does that have relevance to today? How is it, uh, as it were, the benefits of that work? How do they apply to people today? How does it become something relevant for us? And, um, and what we, we see is that there are a number of things that, that happen to us 
and happen for us through that death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we're looking at over these weeks is a number of elements, if you like, of that saving work of Jesus Christ being applied to us. Um, Now we shouldn't think of these as steps in a sequence, um, because most of them actually happen all together at the same time, simultaneously. But there is a certain logic to them, a sort of logical order to the way that we're dealing with them. And uh, I hope you'll understand that uh, just because I put something at the end doesn't mean to say that it only comes at the end, and maybe maybe it won't. Uh, Everything must happen, and it happens in salvation. So what we're looking at is different aspects of the saving work and how it's applied to us uh, as we uh, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So last time we looked at, we thought about how God calls people to himself. Or to put it another way, as John 10 puts it, how the shepherd, the good shepherd, uh, knows his sheep and he calls them to himself. And his sheep hear his voice and they know the shepherd and they follow his voice because they know his voice. And this is the wonderful picture that Jesus presents of somebody who has come to living faith in Jesus Christ, who hears the voice as it were, of Jesus say, come unto me and rest, as Horatius Bonner's hymn puts it. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. And that's what every true Christian can say. I have heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. The call of God. That's what we looked at uh, last time. You may hear that call through uh, listening to somebody preaching the word of God. Or you may hear that call as somebody's talking to you about the Bible uh, or, or something strange happens and you come in face to face with the word of God and as it were it seems to be that heaven opens up for you as it were the, the voice of God seems to come down to you and speak to you and call you to his son Jesus Christ. That's the call that we looked at last time. It's not the, just the general call of somebody preaching to, all, to everyone that he can um, that's a, gen- a general call. What we're talking about is the, the effectual call of God that works in the heart and causes somebody to respond to Jesus Christ. Today I want to, to look at the next logical thing. Uh, but it also happens at the same time as you're hearing that call uh, for the first time. That call from Jesus Christ. And in a sense, what we're going to talk about is the other side of that call. In this relationship between God and us, uh, God is doing the calling, and what's happening on this side? What is going on inside the person that hears that call? And uh, because you will feel something when you hear Jesus call you. You will feel, you'll have that experience of believing in what Jesus is saying to you. And we'll say more about believing later, uh, probably next week, I think, We're kind of in the next sequence in this, uh, the, this series. We'll talk about faith, what faith is, and so on. But I want to try to explain more that, uh, this Sunday what is going on uh, in, in the person. What gives rise to that feeling of believing that people have when they hear the voice of Jesus. Um, What's the fundamental thing that gives rise to faith and other things? That change in 
life-changing experience that happens to you. The Bible used a number of kind of images, if you like, of that transformation that happens to a person. One is resurrection. So Paul says to the Ephesian church, he's speaking to the Gentiles, and he says, talk about what they were once were, and he says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive with Christ. This is what's happened to you Gentile Christians. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins, and you were made alive in Christ. So in a sense, there's resurrection. Uh, What you see when somebody becomes a Christian is, they're resurrected. Now, it's not a bodily resurrection, not yet. That's coming. But spiritually, it's, it's like a resurrection. The first fruits of a resurrection, if you like, that's begun to happen. Once you were dead in one sense, but now you're alive in Christ. Another image that you find is uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is that of creation. And so Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, or sometimes it's translated a new creature, or just new creation. Something new has happened that God has brought about as he has uh, brought this life to somebody. And Paul goes on to say, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. That's what happens when somebody becomes a Christian. It's like they become a new person, a new creature. Like creation out of nothing. Suddenly, he is a Christian. And the last image, and we're going to concentrate on this today for the rest of our time, is the idea of of new birth. Uh, So in John chapter 1, you may want to turn back to John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Uh, John tells us, But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right, God gave gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That there is a, a birth that happens. There is an adoption, the right to become children of God, but there is also a new birth that happens. Somebody becomes a new a new person. It's like they've been in the darkness of the womb all their lives. And then the moment of conversion comes and transformation comes and it's like a new birth and they're a new person coming into a new world. And that's the testimony of many Christians. That when they become a Christian, it's almost like they see everything in new eyes, in a new way. That Jesus has changed them into a, a person now with life. Now all of these images... Resurrection, new creation, new birth. All these things happen to somebody who first comes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we call regeneration. Without going into this in any great depth, uh, regeneration is, is part of a, a wider regeneration of all things. Matthew nineteen twenty eight. Jesus talks about the, the palingenesia, the, the regeneration of all things. And your new birth is a part of that new creation, that new rege- that regeneration of all things. Now it's vitally important that we understand this teaching about regeneration. Because in many ways there's nothing more practical than that, and a practical importance for an individual than that they are regenerated. You need to be regenerated. For you to be a Christian. 
And it's this topic that we find Jesus discussing with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And the key words you'll see are in verse 7, where Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be born again. Or verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Now, I just want to issue a a warning, (laughs) a warning about something. See, people can come to Christianity with a preconceived idea of what Christianity is about. And we can easily miss the point of Christianity. And the most dangerous place I think you can be in is when you are already religious and you think you know a thing or two, but you have not been born again. The most dangerous people are religious people. I'm sorry to lay this on you. (laughs) But the most dangerous people are religious people who are not born again. That's what Pharisees were that spoke with Jesus and debated and discussed with Jesus. They weren't born again. This was true of Nicodemus. And so, as we come to the first point, that was all introduction, by the way. Uh, As we come to the first point... Jesus teaches us here, um, well one of the things that Nicodemus teaches us here is that being religious and clever is not enough. Being religious and clever is not enough. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a religious leader of the day, and there are two factors that that make us think that he was uh, the most important religious figure. Firstly, he was described as um, a ruler of the Jews, verse 1. Probably a reference to the the council, the Sanhedrin, the council of 70 elders of the Jews in Jerusalem. And the second thing is that he is, uh, verse 10, he is recognized as the teacher of Israel. Not just a teacher of Israel, but the teacher of Israel. Of Israel. So he's the top of the pile, the professor above all the other teachers. He is the teacher of Israel. So he is a, a highly respected, highly regarded figure in the whole of Israel, perhaps with ultimate authority over matters of uh, scripture, doctrine, and so on. And for all his, his authority, there's something about Jesus that grabbed his attention. Because he comes to Jesus. Now why would he come to Jesus? After all, he's a Pharisee. and All the Pharisees are against Jesus. But he comes to Jesus. Perhaps there was something that in Jesus' preaching that had just kind of grabbed his attention. Sometimes that happens though, isn't it? Unexpectedly, you hear somebody preaching and something seems to just grab your attention. You think, I've just got to chase that down. I've got to find out more about that. Maybe something that rang true with him that he'd never thought about before. Maybe he realized there was something unsatisfying about the religion that he was uh, promoting and teaching. Something missing. See, Jesus was, was not like any other teacher that you would ever hear in first century uh, Judea. You can remember the, perhaps the, the common experience of people Uh, Listening to Jesus, 
and preaching and teaching. And the reaction of the people was simply that of astonishment. He was unlike anybody else that had ever come and walked upon the earth. And it caused people to say, who is this man? Who is he? Who is this man that does all these things and says all these things? Now here's the interesting thing about Nicodemus. You can, if you go through John's Gospel, you can trace his development. So here, chapter 3, he's a, a curious inquirer. He's asking questions about Jesus. When you get to John chapter 7, he's discussing the phenomenon of Jesus with other Pharisees and chief priests. And he is a a tentative defender of Jesus. So he's moved from curious inquirer to tentative defender. And then finally, in John chapter 19, what does he do? He's with Joseph of Arimathea, collecting the body of Jesus in order to bury it properly. In other words, he is an open follower of Jesus Christ at the end. Quite a transformation, eh? Curious inquirer, moving through to tentative defender, to follower of Jesus, Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. Isn't that often how people find, the kind of trajectory that people find themselves on? That something about Jesus catches their interest, uh, and there's something of an unquenchable interest that kind of grows and grows. It's like a fountain that kind of rises up within you. You can't quell it down, and you're trying very hard, and you try to ignore all these thoughts that are coming into your head, but you just cannot seem to do it. You can't chase it away. And it keeps coming back to you. And so you've got to find out something about him. And you discover, you begin to defend him, and you begin to uh, think, yes, he's... There's something about this Jesus. And then eventually you become a follower of Jesus. That's a testimony of so many people. I wonder if there's anybody like that here today. You've gone through that experience. Being an enemy of Jesus to a curious inquirer. To maybe a slight defender. And then a follower of Jesus. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. When people, that happens to people. Shouldn't we pray for this? All the time. That this is the kind of trajectory that people should be on. That they come to Jesus in that way. Something uncontrollable that comes into their lives and they cannot put down that desire to find out more? Oh, we should pray this. We should be praying this on Thursday nights when we meet for prayer. We should be praying it at home as you pray for the ministry of the word here in this church. Pray for these things. Well, Nicodemus is a curious inquirer that comes at night. It's dark. Maybe it's so that he, can't, he won't be recognized as he sort of steals through the night and comes to Jesus. Uh, it's not the place of a teacher, the teacher of Israel to be seen with this renegade Jesus. So he comes at night time. But clearly he wants to talk about something from the teaching. And he says to Jesus, we know you are a teacher from God. And here's maybe the level of his thinking at this point. He's thinking, well, I'm a theologian. I'm a very clever theologian. I want to go and talk theology to this man. And uh, he's a teacher. He's got some interesting ideas. And I like talking about interesting ideas. So let us go and uh, have a good conversation together about spiritual things or religious things. Let's talk theology. And so he addresses Jesus as teacher. He totally underestimates Jesus. Because what Jesus is talking about here is not more teaching. Teaching is important, but he's not talking about more teaching here. He's talking about new birth. He's talking about something fundamental happening to a person. 
that needs to happen. And friends, I just say to you today, if you're here today, and you're here because you, you want more teaching, maybe at one level that's a good thing, and I'm certainly not against good teaching, but maybe you need more than just teaching. You need new birth. You need new life to be born in you. And that's what I want to continue to talk about now. You need to be born again. So let me talk now about the necessity of being born again. You see, it is a necessity. Jesus says, you must be born again. Verse 7. And it's necessary in two ways. Firstly, it's necessary for everyone. In other words, there's not one group of people like the Jews and another way for another group of people like the Gentiles. This is a statement for everyone. No matter where you come from, you must be born again. We see that in the way that Jesus generalizes the idea in verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So this is something that is for everyone and for anyone. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. There's no other option. Now, I've, you know, I've been Christian 40 years or so, and every so often you know, I come across somebody who says, says to me, are you one of those born-again Christians? <laughs> are you one of those born-again Christians? And there's a quick answer to that, but I'm not going to that just now. But you see, sometimes people think there are two kinds of Christians. There's kind of like born-again Christians and normal Christians. <laughs> There's bonkers Christians and sensible Christians. Born again, not born again. But you can be, you know, some people think you can be a Christian without being born again. The point here that Jesus is making is if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You can't. It's impossible. You must. Be born again. In other words, if you, if you were to die today and you're not born again, you will not get to heaven. You won't. It's necessary for everyone who wants to go to heaven to be born again. Secondly, it's indispensable. It's the same for everyone. And it's indispensable, secondly. And of course there are certain things that are dispensable in the Christian life. In other words, you can go without them and uh, you'll still enter into the kingdom of heaven. One example is baptism. Um, baptism is a command of Jesus, yet it's possible that somebody might not be baptized and they'll still enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, how do I know that? Well, the example that everybody knows. One of the criminals with Jesus on the cross... So he's on his one, on one hand, so the criminal, there's a criminal to whom Jesus said on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, or you, you'll see heaven. He's not baptized, no time. Not possible when you're hanging on a cross. So there are certain things that are dispensable, but to be born again is indispensable. You cannot do without it. You must be born again. 
So that's the necessity of the new birth. Let me talk about the nature of the new birth. And that's a question that was clearly in uh, Nicodemus' mind, verse 4. Uh, look at verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? How can he enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born? A natural question, I suppose, if you don't understand what he means by being born again. He may have, so he may have been baffled. Maybe he's poking fun. I don't know. We can't, can't tell from the text. But he certainly didn't understand it. And so the first thing we need to understand is, where does this birth come from? Where does it come from? And one way of translating verse 3 is, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above. So if, you look, if you've got an ESV, you'll have a footnote there in verse three, uh, number 3 that has this phrase, from above. The word there is anothen, and uh, it just means from above. And so this is a, a birth that has its origin from above, from heaven. So as it were, something from heaven is, is coming down. A gift from heaven is coming down to the person and bringing new life. Flesh gives flesh to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. That's Jesus' point. This is a, a birth that comes about through the Holy Spirit. Human beings can give birth to other human beings, but only the Spirit can give birth to Spirit in new life. And so there's a, a parallel with human birth. And uh, if you think about your human birth, you can no more bring about your spiritual birth as you can your, your physical birth. You didn't have any say in when you were born physically. Uh, you weren't knocking on the door saying, come out, let me out, let me out. <laughs> um, but it just happened to you. In the same way, there's a parallel in spiritual birth. You cannot determine when it's going to happen. God has to give it. It comes from above. But there's also this radical difference between human birth and spiritual birth. No human being can bring about this spiritual birth. There is no one on earth to whom you can go to get it. You don't come to your preacher. You don't go to your friends. There's nobody you can go to to get birth from above. Which raises something of a conundrum for human beings. The very thing that we need as an absolute necessity is the very thing we cannot bring about. Good works can't produce it. Baptism can't produce it. Our parents can't produce it. We cannot produce our own new birth. We can't do anything about it. What are we to do? Well, the very simple fact is you have to go to Jesus. He's the one who gives the Spirit. Indeed, one could argue that the feeling you have to, to need to go to Jesus is God's Spirit already at work in you, doing something in you. But you have to go to Jesus. And you can do that. Coming to Him in prayer, seeking His face, crying out to Him. And in his time he will give that new birth. Only he can do it. 
So where does it come from? It comes from above. Secondly, what kind of birth is it? The first thing to say is it's not an emotional experience. To be born again is not to have an emotional experience. And I've heard people say this. I've had a born again experience. And some of them have been in other religions. I've had a religious experience. It feels like being born again. But it's not an experience. Being born again is not an experience. Not primarily an experience. It may be a, have experiences associated with it. But fundamentally it's not an experience. Secondly, it's not merely about reformation of behavior or a, a change in outlook on life, although those things may follow. Becoming a Christian is not simply a case of deciding to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to live a new life from now on, or maybe tomorrow I'll start. That's not born again. <laughs> it's not turning over a new leaf and trying to reform yourself. It's about receiving a new life that comes from heaven, comes from above. So look at verses 5 and 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, some have puzzled over Jesus' reference to water and spirit here. Some people have thought, well, water means baptism. Um, And that's one of many kind of explanations that are put forward. But let me just cut to the chase on this this question. Jesus is picking up on something that's in the Old Testament. And incidentally, it's something that Nicodemus should have known about in the prophet Ezekiel. Um, You might know this passage in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. And he says in verse 25. Just get to the right page. Speaking about, so Ezekiel several hundred years before Christ, and he's speaking about the great work of the new covenant, doesn't use the term new covenant, but he's talking about it, and he says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See this great work of the Holy Spirit? God is going to do. He's going to send his Holy Spirit into human hearts and change them. Give them hearts of flesh instead of stone. And the fruit of that is they're going to walk in my ways. They're going to do, live a new life. They're going to follow. So there will be a reformation. But it comes after new life. And that's what Jesus is referring to. God is, was promising this time when he would put his spirit within. And it's like water coming upon them. And washing them clean of their sins. And Jesus is referring to this part of the Old Testament that I think Nicodemus must have forgotten. For all his knowledge, for all his professorial expertise, all his religious behavior, he did not understand that the old, from the Old Testament that 
he needed to be born again of the Spirit of God. That the whole of the Old Testament was leading forward to this application of redemption in Christ. And that he needed that in order to see the kingdom of heaven. There was another Pharisee who discovered this. Gloriously discovered this. The Apostle Paul. And you remember what he says about his life? He says, I no longer, Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me by his Spirit. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who gave himself for me. This is the essence of new birth. That Christ by his Spirit lives in you. Who gives you faith in Jesus Christ. Who enables you from the inside out to live for him. This is the new birth. Let me just talk now, as we come to finish, on the signs of the new birth. A few more minutes. Jesus says that we cannot make the the new birth come about, but we can see the effects of it. Jesus uses an an everyday example in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We can't see the wind. We can see the effects in the tree, the leaves on the trees, uh, but we cannot see the wind itself. That's like the Holy Spirit. And so when somebody is born again, we expect to see changes, effects of that new birth. And let me suggest a few things that come actually from that Ezekiel passage that we read. First of all, the removal of idols in life. Things that hold you. Objects of love and adoration and veneration in your life. Things that are non-negotiable things that you're going to hold on to in life. Except Jesus, outside of Jesus Christ. And we see when somebody becomes born again. That their little hands let go of these things. Because they're new people in Christ. And they'll gra- gladly seek to take hold of Jesus Christ by faith. Now hear me closely. I'm not saying... Necessarily that a person who becomes religious and starts attending church, although the, you know, attending church is a good thing, a necessary thing, important thing. But this is about the heart. This is about what changes inside. It's about this question, to whom or to what are you giving your life? Have you let go of those idols that you have spent all your life clinging on to and are sacrosanct and will defend to the hilt? And will you instead turn to Jesus Christ and seek to take hold of him? Because a person that is born again has Jesus Christ at the very center of their life. So first thing is removal of idols. Second thing is there is a heart of flesh and not of stone. A genuine spiritual life is not something that's pretend. And I think it's connected with 
the work of the Spirit the apostle, that the Apostle Paul speaks of in Galatians 5, 23, that certain things begin to appear. They may take time to appear because they're fruits. And fruits take time to, to, to grow and flourish, don't they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things begin to appear in your life. The fruits of the Spirit. And so you, you, you become somebody who's not hard in your heart. But is soft towards Jesus Christ. You see, you cannot be indifferent. If, you be, if you're born again, you cannot be indifferent to Jesus. And you cannot be indifferent to his people, the church. You know, some people are like that. They'll say, I have a personal faith and I live for myself, you know, myself and I live for Jesus. And uh, you know, me and Jesus, we're fine. But you know, that church, I really can't stand it. Sorry, that's not possible if you're truly born again. If you love Jesus, you'll love his bride. You love his people. Even if they've got unpleasant things about them, as we all do. You'll love them. And you begin to display the fruits uh, of a, a, a heart of flesh. Third thing. Third sign of the new, new birth. A genuine care to walk in God's ways. A genuine care to walk in God's ways. You see, for example, the Ten Commandments are important to you. You want to be obedient to the Lord. This is what Ezekiel says happens to you when the Holy Spirit comes into you and makes you a new person and makes you a, gives you a heart of flesh. He writes his word into your heart and you want to obey it. You care about it. You care about the law, you care about the prophets, you care about the gospels, you care about the letters of the apostles, you care about it all, the whole thing. You want to know what it says so that you can believe what it teaches you and do what it tells you. So you want to read it, you want to study the Bible, you want to feed on, this, on the Bible. That's a sign of new birth. That voracious feeding on the word of God. Not just coming to church on Sunday and opening your, your app on your phone. <laughs> some of you, I know some of you do it. That's okay. I do it as well. But when you're at home, you say, I've got to take time today to read the, the Word of God. I've got to take time today. I've got to study it. I've got to think about it. Feed my soul with the Word of God. And you do it. Not because you have an obligation to do it. But because you want to. This is what the Holy Spirit does in a person. Once gives you that desire for his word. Now maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've not, not really thought about this before. That there's a connection between this idea of new birth and a heart level hunger for the word of God. And maybe you've got a Bible in your bookshelf or in a drawer that you've not looked at for a while then why not decide just now to get it out and begin to read it regularly? Why not start with the rest of John's Gospel? Start with John chapter 1. It's amazing. Amazing book. Start reading it. Thinking about it. What does he mean? What's he doing that for? Why is he saying that? You're asking all these questions about the text. And coming to God and asking God about 
the things you're reading in the scripture. That's the joy of reading the Bible with your, by yourself or with your family or here in church. Say, what is God saying here? Why not decide to do that? I'm sure we've got copies of John's Gospel if you want to get started straight away and you don't have a Bible. We've got Bibles as well. But make sure you get something that you can start reading. So Jesus says, you must be born again. So are you born again this morning? Are you a new creature in Christ? Have you been resurrected from the dead? Has the old gone and the new come for you? Have you experienced this regeneration by the Holy Spirit? Let's pray. Father, we pray that uh, as we have studied your word together, that indeed this would not just be theory for us, but actually we would, all of us here, experience that new birth. Oh Lord our God, we cry out to you how we need to see people, boys and girls, men and women, born again of the Spirit of God, regenerated, responding to the call of God. Oh Lord, hear our prayer we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.